another episode of the Season of Sports with me, Asmir Begovic, where in this episode, we're going to be assessing the state of football as things stand, um, obviously with a few easing restrictions and hopefully football on its way back. I wanted to bring on a man who knows all about what's going on in the Premier League um, at the moment. That's the Athletics' own reporter, uh, specifically AFC Bournemouth, Peter Rutzler. Pete, welcome to the show. Hi, Asmir. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me here on the Season of Sports. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, first of all, how are you doing? Are you well and healthy? Is everything okay? I hope your families are well. Um, but how are you doing? Yeah, no, everyone's well. I'm doing all right. We're uh, coping with lockdown and uh, trying to stay fit when I can. And like everyone else, really trying to get through each day and making sure we're in good nick. But yeah, all good here. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that's, that's first things first out the way. You have to get the pleasantries out. But um Listen, Peter, I wanted to kind of talk to you about football as, as things stand at the moment. Um, it's been two two months, basically, with no football around. And, you know, I'm sure everyone misses the game. And I guess there is a little bit of hope in, out there that football could be back sooner rather than later. And that's obviously the first things first. Is, is the Bundesliga is back this weekend. I mean, um, how excited are you to see some proper football oh, back on TV? So exciting. Um, <laughs> we've missed just the live action. I mean, there's... I, you do love going down memory lane and, and re-watching games from the past and there are some fantastic matches that have been re-shown. I know most clubs have been going back over their past glorious games and I know Bournemouth have been doing that as well. And uh, just being able to to watch live games, I think there's a sense of jeopardy, there's a sense of excitement that you just can't get um, without live sports. So having the Bundesliga back will be a welcome release. Well, absolutely. The Bundesliga is the first major major league um, to come to come back and put their plan in place to come back. Obviously, they've um, really had their acting act in order, really, and um, they've they've done well with what they've set out to do. And, you know, their, their, their leaders have really kind of led by example and they've put together, you know, really good programs. So they've obviously led what, I mean, what have they done? I guess, is, is it something that from the government led, um, what have they done so different to everyone else? Why they're ahead of, why are they ahead of all the major leagues? I guess it comes down to the way they've dealt with the pandemic. Um, I think fundamentally it's about being in a position where you feel it's safe for playing staff to come back, that they're in a position to test, um, which I think is a key priority. Obviously in Germany, they've been testing far greater numbers a lot quicker than we have necessarily in the United Kingdom. So that's a significant factor. It allows clubs and the Bundesliga to plan, um, to really put into uh, put into order some kind of schedule, some way of actually managing that return process. You know, there's there's so much more to it and than, you know, just uh, the nuts and bolts. You've got to make sure that you're able to host matches, making sure you've got medical staff, you're able to police it um, and making sure that everybody is safe. And fundamentally, Germany are in a better position and the health system has, has coped very well. They've, they've, they've acted very quickly. Uh, and that's translated across to, to live sport. And um, that's fundamentally the main reason and, and why the, the, the Premier League has sort of been held up. Um... Well, absolutely. And, and well done to them, because obviously I think uh, the Bundesliga will be an absolute highlight for everyone <laughs> now this weekend. And there's going to be some good games on um, as well. So we, we all can't wait for that. Now, moving on to the other leagues, um, I guess specifically more the Premier League as well. But kind of throwing in La Liga and Serie A and we also know the French League have called it a day and they won't be playing again this, this season. Mm. Um, what, are the, what are the main issues that, that are facing England? I mean, I know first and foremost, um, I believe that 
you know, you need the government's approval. And there seemed to be news recently that the government will allow games behind closed doors in professional football um, after June the 1st. And then that seems to be, for me, one of the biggest hurdles. And I think now that that sort of data is out there, it seems like, you know, football will have the green light to come back once they've put the protocol together. How do you see it? Yeah, I think you're right, Asmir. I think the, the biggest hurdle is always government approval. Um, and as you say, that, that has now been granted from, from June the 1st. Um, there's definitely a willingness within government for football to come back. I think it's been talked as being some kind of morale boost for, for everybody. And, and whether that's the case or not is, is a different debate. But in terms of what that means for the Premier League returning and, and, and elite football returning, um, they've got the go-ahead for behind-closed-doors games. Um, of course, that's only part of the story. There's, there's so much more to it. There's the moral question, of course. You know, Can, can it, they be seen to be playing if, if the pandemic's not fully under control, if the, if the epidemic within the country is not under control? Uh, and then, of course, it's, it's financial too. And, and that's, that's probably the big weight, really, um, trying to make sure that um, the games are fulfilled. Um, obviously, the June 30th deadline is, is so, so important um, in terms of contracts, commercial contracts, and then also television as well. Um, but in terms of the possibility of returning, it's on that track because it does have the green light now. You know, it's funny, those are, I guess, the two main, we'll get into some more issues, but I guess when you touch on the two sort of meaty, big, big issues, mm. one one is the moral issue, as you, as you mentioned. And, you know, I think we fully understand, even as footballers and, and, and people in football, that football is not above anything. But I think when you look at what football is, and especially in the UK and most of the countries in Europe, I mean, it's the number one sporting industry in most of these countries. And what, what it does provide, I mean, not just from, as you say, from a bit of a relief from people and a, and, and a sort of getaway on weekends and being able to follow their team as, as religiously as they do. But there's so many jobs at stake. Mm-hmm. There's so much um, pressure on people to kind of fulfill, fulfill the games. And I think people underestimate the power that football does have. You know, as I say, it's not above life and death, and absolutely not. But, you know, we have to find that balance between being paralyzed by this pandemic and I think we have to find the yeah, and also by living life, right? So I think by playing games and trying to, of course, do that absolutely in the safest way possible. Um, but I think that's that's such a huge issue. People say, "Well, football is not beyond anything." And football isn't absolutely. But we, if we can create that safe environment, then football, I think, has to come back, and sport has to come back because there isn't many industries. We look at North America, for example. All the four or five major leagues, there there is. There is sort of a vicinity. They're closer to each other, but you look at football and and other sports in the UK, and there's just no one close. Mm. And that's why I think there's a lot of that pressure on, on football. Do you do you agree with that? No, I would I would agree with that. I think it does play an important role. But I, I think your point to do with the amount of lives and, and livelihoods that depend on it is also quite important. Because if we look at the, the sort of lockdown easing steps, the very tentative ones that were made earlier this week um, by the government and the encouragement for certain industries to go back to work. And I think football shouldn't necessarily be in a position that is entirely different to other industries uh, based on because of its profile. You know, it's it, at the end of the day, it's still an industry. It's still uh, people's jobs depend on it. I mean, if you take Bournemouth, they have about 600 employees, uh, either direct or indirectly. And, and that's, that's a significant number. So and that's just one of the smaller clubs in the Premier League. And it, the numbers become enormous when you go to your Tottenham's or Manchester United and and, and Liverpool and 
trying to keep the industry going is so important. And I think Steve Parrish outlined it quite well in his article in the Sunday Times, where he spoke about, you know, longer term, if, if they don't, if there is no movement to try and restart, then you will see clubs going to the wall. You will see deep impact, um, which I think some clubs are finding within leagues that have already terminated. You know, I think that there have been some issues in, in Holland and obviously in France, there's been great concern that the government has step, stepped in to cover the, the TV rights money that they're not going to be receiving. Um, but again, I th- it's, a, it's a difficult one because as you're saying, you know, it, I think the profile should not necessarily mean that it's held to different standards. Um, but at the same time, there is a, there's a role where you people do want to see it. They do want it to return. And, and I think it is often distorted by its coverage and, and, and perception from outside. Yeah, it seems that that seems to be really negative at times, but I think football can have such a positive mm. effect. And I think at times like this, you know, I, we understand as athletes, and I think we understand as that industry and that, that we're in that, you know, you and I are in that, that football has such a way of bringing people together and giving people that also a bit of sense of purpose. And I think I'm glad you really mentioned that Steve Parrish article because I think over the last little while, that was one of the best articles I've seen, you know, trying to kind of explain the whole balance of things, not just one way or the other. Um, but I thought he put it really eloquently and um, that was interesting. Now, obviously, the second part you bring is the, is the financial impact. And, and I mean, these are some astronomical figures and I don't care what business you are, but it, there is now already talk, even though if the Premier League fulfill their, their, the rest of the games and the rest of the program, that the Premier League will still lose 300, 350 million. I mean, th- these are just figures that you don't want anyone to lose or, that, that has an impact on the economy. That has an impact, impact on people's livelihoods. Um, what, what, what do you think about the money side of things? And obviously, from TV, I know that they, they want to have their cake and eat it. You know, understand. But they, they, come, you know, they need football just as much as football needs them. So they will come to an agreement. I'm sure there will be more games on TV now. And they will be surely be able to subsidize some of that loss would you would you say that's the case i think so i think you know we are dealing with as you were saying some extraordinary sums of money and and i think you know we, we referenced steve parish but he you know he's, he said it himself like fundamentally one of the key issues is money and you can't escape that it's it's an inescapable part of, of the game today and it's one of those things where you've you've, you've got to because of the the finances in football and the, and the way they're they're, t- they're constructed and we people pour over it all the time and they're not the best they're not like other industries i mean we, you look at the the wage comparison to, to club revenue um i think you had kieran Maguire on here on a previous podcast and he would have outlined this perfectly just how tentative and 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 the difficult balance there is um for clubs um but it is essential you know that they, they they can't just be ignored they can't just be uh, belittled so let's just end it um, money, money's no reason for it. At the end of the day, there are, as we were saying before, there's livelihoods at stake. Um, clubs, very existence could be at stake. It's, um, it, it, it becomes much more of a challenge. Um, and it, it, I think it poses more, more, more questions, um, longer term about whether it's, it's sustainable, um, in the current guise and, and whether it would lead to, to better practices. Um, but the, the reality is, you know, you can't escape the the financial implications of what is happening and what that will mean for communities, for not not just clubs, um, for everyone. It, it sort of affects. Peter Rutzler joining me here from the Athletic. Um, 
reporter, mainly for AFC Bournemouth. Um, Peter, there are a couple other things I want to touch on. I guess one of the big issues is testing. Um, I know that people have been very sensitive about testing and taking tests away from the people who need it most, and I think that's something that can't be done absolutely. Make, you know, we, People have to make sure that the people who need it most get it, but I believe they're getting testing from abroad. I think testing of players is going to be key and trying to control that environment just as absolutely as much as you can. And there is no such thing as a perfect scenario. I think I was in Sky Sports uh, a few days ago and I said, you know, fair has gone out the window a long time ago. What we all wanted or the perfect world. Hmm. You know, that, that was that was six months ago. Now we've got to live with this situation. Hopefully we can get back to what six months ago was like in six months from now or a year from now or whatever, whatever that is, you know. So we have to kind of work our way through this. But um, testing is a big issue, I believe. I believe neutral grounds yeah. seem to be a big, big issue. Are those the sort of other two big hurdles that if they can overcome, then you know, Premier League will be will be closer to, to being back? I think testing is one of those issues where people don't want to take tests away from key workers, those on the front line in hospitals, care homes, um, and in those scenarios. And the reality is, if that were the case, um, you know, that these tests were somehow depriving key workers, then they would be, you know, taken by the government. Um, they are private tests, so the Premier League are paying for that service. Um, and if the government were wanted to do it, they could. So I don't, I always find that to be, it's definitely, it's a very important issue. And I think it's, that perception is quite important and the, and the PR view of it. Um, but on the ground, you know, it's fundamentally, if those those tests were needed, they would be taken um, out of their hands. So I think that's one issue that I think should be OK. Um, they seem to be making a lot of progress in, in terms of uh, facilities offering those uh, offering those tests. Um, the other issue, as you mentioned, uh, neutral grounds, which was a big topic in the Premier League executives meeting earlier this week. Um, I think the bottom six were widely um, felt to be pushing against neutral grounds. And I think what's transpired is that most clubs actually were all against it. I think for sure the bottom six have the most to lose. Um, they want to make sure every advantage, every element of, of sporting integrity they can claim back is is there. As you mentioned before, I mean, we're, we're talking about a scenario which cannot be anywhere near the same uh, the start of the season. So how far you can go with that is 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 debatable. But with neutral grounds, I think every every club still has things to play for. I think every position is worth at least two point five million pounds, um, which is a significant sum of money, um, and that that means that you know trying to keep your home games, especially if you're you're better at home. I think Aston Villa have won, I think two thirds or two thirds of their points have come from home games. It's, it's a figure in that yeah. sort of gravity. Yeah. So we're not talking insignificant matters. Um, and then obviously the, the outcome from Monday was that I think about up to 14 clubs were against neutral neutral grounds. That's gone back to the government. So it's back in their court, really, and, and whether the police are happy to facilitate it. Uh, I think clubs will push it, and I think that's understandable. In, in Germany, they're doing home and away games. So um, it's just trying to find that, 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 that medium, really. And the pressure will come when, the closer we get to June 30th and more we push into July. That's when that pressure will tell and they'll go, well, what's the worst? What's the worst? Um, what's the worst option here? And uh, neutral grounds probably won't be the worst option, considering they'll be behind closed doors anyway. Looking ahead of the next next couple of weeks here, um, and you mentioned that sort of June thirtieth date. I think it's incredibly important in terms of budgets and contracts running out, and thousands of players being being out of contract. 
you know, that football calendar, you, you know, I guess you could move everything a couple of months, but really you don't want to move everything a couple of months. So they, they're going to have to really get creative with that. And I think UEFA will, but going over the next couple of weeks. So we have a deadline. I believe there is a deadline of the 25th of May that leagues have to submit their plans. Otherwise they won't play. Is that, is that right? That's to UEFA, I think. Yes. They, they have to submit to UEFA to say what they're going to do because the UEFA currently intend to play the Champions League and the Europa League in August, I think. Right. Right. And then how, how is that going to call? How is the, how, so because obviously a lot of the qualifiers mm. as well and, and European competitions, are they just going to push that back? And I guess some teams will just play straight through. I mean, how do you how do you think this is going to work out? How do you see it working out? The, the more this rumbles on, the, 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 long, the more delays that happen, the more questions do arise. And qualifiers is one of them. I think there was talk this think last week about potentially scrapping them. And obviously the implications of scrapping qualifiers and finding some other metric within which to, to get teams to qualify for next year's Champions League will lead to significant financial disadvantage for clubs you know, that are very much reliant on it, especially uh, those outside of the, the big five leagues. So if there is to be some kind of mechanism like that, there would have to be a compensation for those clubs because the implications are huge. Um, but that's the, again, it, it just comes down to the longer we keep pushing it back, the longer it's the dates are pushed further into next season, there'll be more and more debates about the overlap contracting next year. That's often dismissed as being a simple option. Well, we can just contract next year. It's fine. We'll just delay this one. But contracting next year will mean that, say, the, the you know, flittingly the, the, the Car- flippantly the Carabao Cup is described as being, oh, we'll, we'll just do away with it. But what about the sponsorships to do with that? Um, those employed to run the competition? There's much more to it than that. And the, mo- the more we delay, the more, the more questions there are. And that's why they are trying to find a solution now as much as it jars with the current situation, trying to find a solution or roadmaps that can path a uh, path course for us to, to get through and, and, and to, to return, um, they're very, very important. Yeah, well, absolutely, because the football calendar is pretty much 12 months around, mm. you know, around now, and it's, it's the whole year that basically I think there will have to come a point, and hopefully by the 25th of May we'll be a lot smarter and um, we'll get a lot more answers from all the leagues because, as you said, that, that it just has to be a date when everything has to be finished. Like you say, it's one thing pushing everything a month, maybe two. But once you start doing it more than that, then, then how are you going to get the season in? I mean, how many games will, will you yeah. cut? You've got the Euros next. You can't postpone the Euros again because you've got a World Cup to think. You've already got the problem with the World Cup in 2022 where the, the calendar gets all squished again. So, you know, I... I <laughs> I'm incredibly, incredibly um, intrigued to see how this is all going to work out. But listen, Peter, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and giving your insights. So tell people a little bit more about The Athletic. Obviously, I'm, I'm a huge fan of The Athletic. I, I've subscribed and you know I read your guys' stuff. But tell me a little bit more about The Athletic. That you Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we started in the UK in last summer, uh, in July. The beginning of August was when we launched. Obviously, for you guys, you'll know that The Athletic... Um, has already been established and is superbly successful in the United States, covering American sports, American football, baseball, basketball. Um, And the idea is that they've taken as many different beat reporters, coupled with generalist reporters, um, to try and provide insight, more detail, more longer form features um, that escape the the reliance on uh, instant news, instant clicks, instant headlines. 
And the idea is to tell the full story and get, paint a full picture. Um, from my perspective, I, I, I cover Bournemouth um, day in, day out. That's, I am currently covering the club. We have a reporter on every Premier League side in the UK and five in the Championship as well. Um, and what that enables us to do is we'll always have someone there to tell the full story who's on the ground, listening, talking, uh, talking to the right people uh, and to give those supporters, you know, good cons- centred journalism on their clubs. If you take Bournemouth, for example, they don't necessarily get the same coverage that a club in the top six will get. Um, and that's just dictated by, you know, what sells newspapers, what 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 generates clicks online. Um so in that sense, it, it gives a lot of freedom to write more detailed, informed, long form pieces, which is from a journalistic perspective, from my perspective, is, is so enjoyable. Um, it's great being able to tell more stories, um, to have a little bit more editorial freedom. Uh, and it, it helps in times like this as well, because it is a very difficult time for the industry where advertising revenues have plummeted. Um, and that's putting a strain on a lot of uh, newspapers who obviously print sales have fallen too. Um, and for us, with our subscription model, we're able to to keep working, not as reliant on the match on the match day. Of course, we miss the news cycle, um, but we're able to tell longer form features, not just about what's going on now, but go back and tell stories that weren't necessarily told before, um, and just provide that 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 insight. I think that's the key word, really. That's that's what we're aiming for. And you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you're enjoying it, Asmir. And I, I know we did an interview with you earlier this year, which was fantastic. And um, it's yeah it's it's going well and, and it's it's a i think it's a breath of fresh air i mean it's, it's easy for me to say because i'm obviously have a vested interest but um it's it's a new challenge for sports journalism and it's 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 provides some provided some impetus in an industry that has you know struggled for some time no well that's awesome i think you guys do an incredible job and um it's great to have you have you guys around so keep up the good work peter um hope you Stay safe, stay well, um, and uh, hopefully... Thanks, Asmir. You too. Thanks for having me.